G'day everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chewing the Bat, where we're going to be delving into numerous sporting topics within Australia and globally. In this episode, we're going to be talking prize money, in particular, the disparity between prize money within the top 100 and the rest of the field. But first, my name is Jack, and I'm gladly once again joined by good mate and fellow sporting diehard, Gus, Gus Bust. How are you going, mate? Good, thanks, Jack. How are you today? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Um, mate, good to hear. Very exciting podcast coming up. Um, I can't wait for this. Exciting one. for us, and hopefully, obviously, the view, uh, the listeners as well. For the listeners. Um, so stay tuned for the back end of it. Um, we've got a very exciting interview coming up. Um, once again, we want to thank our producer Frey for getting the podcast sorted for us today. So thanks, mate. How are you going? I'm good. I'm very good. Good to hear. No Pilates today? <laughs> no Pilates. I'm still on uh, a rest day. <laughs> That's <laughs> bit, good. Bit sore from yesterday, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm struggling up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into it, like every Monday drop, we're going to be starting with Sport of the Week. Now, we've had some, yes, we've had some thrillers, mate, in the last... Oh, we've only been going for a couple of weeks, but we've, we've started red hot. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of crap. People love sport of the week so far. Hey, we should we should post in. We should maybe get some some listeners sports of the weeks. I reckon that would be good. That would be good. Maybe in the next coming weeks. Maybe. Um, but anyway, so last week we had um, Taobai Oshi, a Japanese sport. Crazy, go see it. And also, what did you have? Slam ball. Slam ball, unbelievable. Now, what have you got for us this week? I've got a ripper. I've got an absolute ripper for you this week, Jack. Okay, give it's it to me. It's definitely at least tier C. It could well be tier D. Jeez. So maybe what? Would you say 98% of the population haven't played this sport? I'd be willing to go 99. Gee, that's big. 99 time. and a half. All right. Let's have it. What do you got? It is called Bossa Ball. Bossa Ball. Bossa Ball. And I'd never heard of it before until I found it on a deep <laughs> dive. So <laughs> I, think it's, I think it was created it's essentially formalized by a belgian bloke but i think it originated in brazil or he found it in brazil right something like that so they describe it as a mixture of volleyball football so soccer for you yep gymnastics <laughs> well you're not brazilian either mate <laughs> gymnastics and music samba okay but basically it looks like it's volleyball and football oh i know with a twist though no it's not just kicking it over so okay. it's on a fully inflatable court right yep. and then on the center of each half or the forward center of each half ringed by a little waist high wall of extra inflatable mm -hmm. as a trampoline yeah and there's one player bouncing on the trampoline the whole time <laughs> so then it's this just, is sounding starting to sound like a dance party <laughs> it's dance there's music i think the referee is sort of like master of ceremonies yeah he has like a dj set maybe is I there any football involved there is so it's just volleyball over the net Five touches per team, okay? You get one touch if you're doing volleyball as a person, but you can touch it two times if you do a football touch. So if it's head, knee, foot, okay? Right. And then you set it up. We're yeah, just, you set just, it up just to the man on the, of it at the or the woman on the trampoline. Um, and if they kick it over, it's extra points. It's almost, I think it's double the points rather wow. than if you spike it with your hand. Wow. Yes. That is crazy. Everyone should look this up. It looks unreal. It's probably, aside from disc golf, which we'd already tried, it's probably 
the one I've most wanted to try so far. Not very accessible, though. I don't know where you'd find it. <laughs> Possible Brisbane. Anyone, please hit me up. I'm oh. looking. I'm hunting. I that cannot rings. wait to give it a go. That rings. Possible Brisbane. Maybe we start it up. Is there a league? Anyone, let us know, please. Please let us know. We're if keen. not, it's coming soon because we'll be on Well, that. mate, that's that might trump what I thought was not going to get trumps last week. <laughs> yours was good oh i came i did a bit of homework that's why wow that's an unbelievable one um I, I did do a bit of homework but i don't think i can beat you this week um i do have one we're all familiar with the nfl so gr- gridiron yeah american football the, you know the super bowl <laughs> that, oh that one pretty pretty intense sport right physical very you, know, you need to be skillful strong powerful Try doing it on a unicycle. Oh, stop it. That's, <laughs> That's actually right. outrageous. Unicycle football. No one can ride a unicycle. Mate. Pa- apart from, a, apart from <laughs> our guest. Apart from our first guest on the show. Who's I suppose, we haven't seen her it. hand up like she thinks she can ride a unicycle. No, we haven't seen it. But, but Proof. All right, proof. But, you know. Not many. All right, 25% going off the room, but I reckon it's a lot less than that. Okay, let me paint you a picture. Do it. Foot, uh, a futsal-sized... Uh, court or field and you can have up to 10 play y- unicyclists both I guess. <laughs> players both. per team both. um and the, pretty much uh, there's the rules are, aren't very interchangeable and there's a lot of <laughs> there's a bit of gray area in this <laughs> so essentially it looks like a, a like a footy or a schoolyard game of gridiron but on unicycles so that's pretty just loose. It's just contact. Very loose. Yeah. Big contact. I mean, however, what I find interesting and it's good to watch is you can take catches diving off the un- unicycle. So you don't actually have to stay on the unicycle like being showed here. Oh, you can lose contact with it as you go. Yes. You can dive off the unicycle to take a catch. Obviously, having granted the catch, you can get back on your unicycle and start playing again and you reset for you know the next one. Yeah. So right. yeah. That's pretty good. Have a look. It, you know... I'm happily. I'll happily See, there'd be admit some the stacks in that game. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Injuries. You have to obviously wear a helmet, shin guards, all all the above. But yeah, no doubt, wrist guards for me. Yeah. Well, I'm happy. I'll happily admit Sorry. defeat there on this week's sport of the week, mate. But I, I was pretty <laughs> keen for one. mine. But that yeah, was a really you good really one. Really trumped me with boss ball. Um, anyway, let's let's get into let's get into it. Um, let's do it. We're gonna start off. We're gonna be talking money. Money talks in this episode. That's my uh-huh. line. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> helps helps to look through the notes, I guess. <laughs> nah, um, in in particular, um, a topic that we're very interested in and passionate about as well is the distribution of prize money. You know, looking at your top hundred players and so the rest of the professional and, field and, and the rest of the field. People playing full time, professionally taking the sport professionally. Exactly, and you know, usually you're looking at obviously your top hundred, and then anywhere between your seven six hundreds in the world. All the way to that top hundred spot. Yeah. Um, so we're going to look at the difference between those two so tiers. We're particularly talking tennis here because not all sports have a ranking. System, no, exactly. Actually. Tennis probably the closest sport to compare it to is golf as well. So we're going to do a little comparison with golf um, in the in the episode as well, which is going to be super interesting. Um, but first, we're going to have a little look at our sports highest earners in prize money, both men and women. In particular, we're going to be starting with the big three. And in the men's game. In the men's game. In the men's that game. That we've talked about a couple of times. We Probably love talking about episode, the big three. Yeah, I yeah. think we're always on the big three. <laughs> it's, an easy, it's an easy conversation topic, so... Oh, 
As if it wouldn't be. Yeah, but so we've got obviously Roger, Raff, and Novak. Novak, though having less slams and less total career ATP titles than Roger, and I think Rafa as well, yeah, has the most prize money, the career pri- career prize money. Um, yeah, and I guess what's what is that attributed to? I think it's to do with the increase in prize money recently. Could be. Um, Could and, be. And also, I, I well, guess he's been absolutely dominant. In he's had yeah. We talked about it when we were talking about him the other the other week. He has had a pretty particularly dominant run in the Masters events. I think he's the all-time leader in, in Masters 1000 yeah, title I th- wins. I think that's right, yeah. 44 or something, outrageous. Correct, and still going. And still going. Yeah. I think, it, well, yeah. So I think just all that continued dominance, whereas over the past few years, those injuries we talked about for the other two maybe took them out of a few of those, you know, non-slam tournaments. Yeah, yeah, I would agree there. But... um. He's, he's well, I wouldn't say he's well above Ro- Roger and Raf, but he's definitely, you know, growing further away from him in terms of career prize money. Mm. You know, that's not even to mention endorsements. No, <laughs> so that's not at all in it is mentioning cr- endorsements. It is, it is crazy money out there at the top of the field. Um, in the big three. If you're historically good at a sport, it's crazy money. Crazy money. And also <laughs> looking at Serena, you know, in the women's game, probably yep. the highest the highest earner in the WTA, I, pro- probably ever. In prize money, I believe. In, in so, prize yes. money, and also, you know, probably one of the richest um, sportswomen in our era. Yeah, well, she's got a bunch of other ventures going as well. I know she's on a, a few lists in Forbes, just with self-made women, business ventures, a whole bunch of different things going on. Gee, she's a woman. She knows she can get anything done. Tennis, business, and she's got it all. She's got it all, and also a younger. You could almost say version of her in terms of her game style, but Naomi Osaka. Yes. So Naomi had the highest yearly or the, over a 12-month span. It was the highest earnings by a female athlete ever. Wow. I think it was around $37 million, that which is, is a lot of money. That is a lot. That's prize money. Is that right? No, that was, that's total for the year. Total, that's a lot, yeah. So that's endorsements and everything as well, but that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Even just looking at prize money alone, like these guys are earning, you know, 10, 10 to 20 million per year and, and it's at the top end, it is crazy. Um, you know, we can also look at other sports as well and there's a really good comparison between tennis and golf in particular. Um, it's a, they're, they're two individual sports, which is fairly uncommon on the world you know amongst all sports even tcs which we like to talk about yeah, we love a tc <laughs> we don't mind a tc <laughs> they're actually pretty uncommon to just have an individual professional sport in which you're pretty responsible for your own form health travel coaching. Fa- fairly responsible yeah fairly responsible yep. fairly responsible it's not a team environment no exactly saying. yeah well w- comparing tennis and golf um I believe there's a crazy stat that we've we've brought up a couple of days ago um, that we see 143 um, looking at golf. So the top 143 golfers in the world are earning at least a million dollars. Yeah. So this is in the PGA Tour. So the men's side. Yep. It was a couple of years ago, but I think it's probably pretty similar. If anything, it'd be a bit more by now. But yeah, the 143 ranked golfer in the world on the PGA was earning over a million dollars. A million, which is pretty crazy, especially looking and comparing it to tennis. Yeah, very. It's a big contrast. Where I believe, 
I think, is it the 49th ranked player in the yeah, world? Yeah, I think it was 49 players cracked that magic million mark. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you had to throw a ballpark number out, someone ranked 143 in the world in the ATP rankings would probably be almost breaking even, maybe making a few hundred thousand dollars per year. Would that be fair? Maybe. I wouldn't. I mean, and then, I don't really And then, you know, know comparing that. that to golf, someone making over a million dollars in that same at that same yep. ranking at 130. That's prize money as well. That's, that's, that's prize, prize money. money. Yeah. So crazy stat and really highlighting as well the you know what we think is a huge disparity yeah between that very top echelon and then dispersing down through the rest of the field yeah exactly and you know we haven't even touched upon other sports as well um where we see you know crazy contracts yes in you know in the what the football i was gonna say soccer but (laughs) (laughs) we'll call it football football nba NFL, you know, all your big American team sports, um, a little bit different because it's some contractual. Sports, yeah, but and some of those sports are salary cap as well. Yeah, and you know, I'm going to throw you a pretty controversial question here, mate. But um, do it. These guys, you know, your Ronaldo, your LeBron James, um, they're earning crazy money. Probably up around 100 million for the year. Ronaldo, for the year. For the year. Around Roger. That sort of mark. You, that sort of mark. Do you think your sporting stars are getting paid too much? It's a crazy amount of money. Loaded question. What do you reckon you do, they're doing with that money? I don't know. Investments. <laughs> <laughs> Invest. Well, you'd hope know, so. You'd hope so. But yeah, fast cars, private jets, probably. Yeah, yeah. You'd probably think so. Yeah. No, look, I don't know, mate. I mean, I don't feel in a position to ever talk down on anyone getting their own money. You of know? course like, not, because it's it's hard earned money I it feel. is hard earned yeah. it's, it's super dedicated people very disciplined and they've been fortunate enough to set themselves up and set their families up for generations to come so you can't there's um, no yeah you can't you, you can't don't want to take that away all. from them no but you know it is a lot I mean the thing is you have to look at its endorsements but it's so hard to quantify like what's the value that LeBron is bringing to Nike a lot probably I don't know how much but it's definitely a lot you could almost same this is probably outrageous without looking at the figures, but you could almost make an argument that he's not getting enough. Wow, I haven't thought of that. He's imagine the value LeBron has for the NBA, and his salary capped inside. What is this? Thirty something million max yeah. steals these days. Yep, thirty nine maybe. He would be bringing so much to the game. Having thought of it, genuinely immense what, amounts. What What would an NBA look like without LeBron at the moment? Probably not so much. It'd yeah. be interesting, but it'd be like tennis. But it wouldn't be. Just the value globally is probably... So I guess that's the situation where I guess it's justified. Yeah, potentially is. It's, you know, if you're looking at it in just a fiscal sense like that, probably, but, you know, it is a pretty outrageous amount. But I mean, someone like that, like while we're talking about LeBron, he has, like he started school a couple of years ago. He is doing things with his money that are charitable. Yes. He's giving back and he's trying to make a difference. So he's, I think he's having a bit of beef with... Zlatan at the moment. I think I saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zlatan's, I don't know, ripped him for LeBron's political stance and I think... Pretty outrageous <laughs> yeah, from yeah. Zlatan. There's literally, did we not go through this like two years ago? There was the whole shut up and dribble scandal, which was outrageous from that um, commentator or whoever it was. Oh, yeah. And Zlatan has gone two years later, I'm going to redo it. <laughs> it's outrageous. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he, ha- he hasn't seen his name enough in the papers he recently and he, wa- he wanted yeah, a bit more maybe. juice, but... I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to back him there, but it yeah. is what it is. Yeah, but, but anyway, we just wanted to highlight with those stats the, the, the difference between your top end and your, and your tail end. Um, so, I guess that the natural question is, 
what do you think the game or the governing bodies can do to change that to within tennis that? within let's look within tennis let's well a couple things i think we we definitely need to focus on helping out the rest or the bottom end, the tail end of the players. So you're 600 to you 100 in the world. And I think you do that by one, increasing more tournaments. Obviously there's logistics around that and it's hard to do and there's lots of sponsorships. Yes. And whatnot. But, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they can get it done. You know, there's you venues. You think so. You, you, you think, think they can so. get it done. So increasing your tournaments for your bottom end, which will obviously increase the you know opportunity for them to, gain more prize money yeah it's and the bottom end you're looking at like the top end can get in a tournament basically whenever they want yeah, they have enough going they're on. set you know especially <laughs> even just looking at the slams alone you know they're coming away with if you're Djokovic you could just play the slams you're still gonna make it's a good year oh yeah. I'd take it <laughs> <laughs> must, must be nice yeah, must, be, must be very <laughs> must nice be very nice um, so yeah increasing tournaments um, but we've also seen which I rip back pretty hard is you know, dispersing the prize money from your top end of the tournament. So the later th- rounds? Throughout the early, yeah, the early rounds. So for example, I think I think they've done it in this year's Australian Open compared to last. There's a 17% decrease in prize money for wow. your main draw or your top end or your finalists. And it was distributed more that is throughout. That's sizable. Yeah, throughout your qualities, your dubs, your mixed doubles. Mm. So I think... That's good. That's I'd like to see it's it. It's a start. I, it, it is a start. And whether we, whether or not we can see that in your... Your master's thousands or not hopefully well let me let me throw something else at you this is without any expert knowledge on if it's possible oh, mate, and i know that they already do you have runs of tournaments in certain continents or locations do you think the schedule could be tweaked to allow less travel for those lower ranked players to just play less tournaments while on one airfare to get over there definitely you know I, I mean? I, yeah and it happens a little bit at the moment but probably not enough so I completely agree with you. Like I reckon, yeah, like genuine Australian circuit, three months, go Europe, to the three US, months, Europe, definitely. Um, I don't know the logistics behind it. It, it <laughs> may be a lot of work. Yeah, to be it, fair, it for may someone. be a logistical nightmare, but it'd be something you know worth having a just look without at having to do anything. It. Yeah. So, the International Tennis Federation, if you're listening. <laughs> Look at that schedule. Get boy. a spreadsheet out. Have a look. Shift boy, some cells around. Boy, do we have some suggestions for you. So, <laughs> Always. Um, CT, still listening. <laughs> we had a few C- for him recently. Craig Tyler, he still hasn't responded to our emails. Tell you what, we might have to, I don't know, keep pressing a bit harder. Maybe just make one. it urgent the next one. Put that yeah. little flag on What it. do we have? We wanted to press five sets for women's. Yep. Hashtag five sets for women's. Yep. That's what hasn't that. re- he hasn't replied to that. No. And, and I've wh- seen it trending everywhere. <laughs> Whether or not he'll reply to us ever, but... um. You know, hopefully in a year or two's time, we can get him on the show <laughs> and ask him. <laughs> anyway, that kind of wraps us up. So pretty much, you, you know, your two main points, trying to distribute your prize money, more matches, um, the, the dis, you know, distributing your prize money from your, your quarters onwards to the finals throughout, your, throughout the bottom end and the start of the tournaments is going to also help. And hopefully we can do that at other tournaments in Masters, ATP 1000s, 500s and 250s as well. Um, and as Gus mentioned, you know, making it easy and a bit more, a bit less of a logistical nightmare for players to, to travel. Grind, yeah. yeah, yeah. So great, great chat. And it's, you know, we could probably talk about this for... We definitely could, but yeah. we've got something better to do. We, 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 we do. And boy, are we excited. It's very super, super excited to get into super our... Super excited. To get into our interview with Kimberly Birrell.
not only is she a friend of the show, but also a friend of ours. Well, I think we hopefully. hope, hopefully. <laughs> but um, we we also admire what Kim's been through throughout her career, coming through a couple of big injuries, um, yeah, coming through adversity, and we're super stoked to have her on. Very keen, and yeah, thanks. And very Ki- grateful. Very grateful, you know. And thanks, Kim, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Oh, bloody oath. This is, I don't know about you, how you feel, but you were our first ever guest speaker on Chewing the Bat, so... <laughs> yeah, no pressure when, at all. When we start making our millions, you know. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget so, me, <laughs> your first guest. So, your first, oh. Possibly a bigger deal for us than Kimbo, but we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, this is a highlight. Um, well. be- yes. Before we get into some, some serious talk, we're, we're going to start off with a little segment. It's a, it's a top three. All I'm right. nervous. I can't wait. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Um, so, you know, myself, along with Gus, producer Frey as well, and I'm hoping you as well, huge fan of the cheese board. <laughs> Everyone in the world is a fan <laughs> of the cheese board. <laughs> There'll be some people out there though. You know, yeah, I'm sure there are some people. So I'm going to give so you haters. Be listening. Yeah, yeah exactly. get them out. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> Skip ahead a few minutes. High correlation of sports listeners and those who love cheese boards. So. Oh, hand in hand. <laughs> All right, I'm Greatest gonna, people on the planet. Yeah. So, top three, right? Hear me out. Top three items on a cheese board, but not including cheese. Jeez. That's tough. Oof. It is tough because obviously, you know, cheese is up there. <laughs> cheese is up there. Um, so, what, what's, what's your Would top... Would be the most main ingredient on a you, cheese board. You'd hope so. <laughs> you ne- but you never know. What's your, what's your top three without cheese? Um... I am going to say the crackers, or is that already a given? Well, like a, to eat the cheese. That's with. a good question. Oh. Is cheese off the board, or are we just talking about? <laughs> I'm going to allow crackers. If there's no cheese. A crackers on the board. Crackers. I are think up. they should be. Yeah, I'm going to allow it as long as you can give us a more specific type of cracker. Oh, that's tough. Oh, jeez. <laughs> You're asking way too much of me. <laughs> Sometimes I'm I sweating. like. I like those little fancy fig ones for a change up. Yeah, they're really good. Just oh, they're delicious. Take it yeah. up a level. Yep. Mm. Like right. the cranberry ones. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So we've got a um, fancy olives. I reckon should be on there. Yeah. Hundred percent. You've asked actually asked me that. That, this question before, and I think I said <laughs> personal, um, personal favorite I, I topic do, of I conversation. Think I said yes. <laughs> I do drop a top three on the regular. So <laughs> and love a cheese board. All right. So we've got hitting we've, the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> questions. We've got we've got biscuits. We've got olives. I back that. Which I I, I do agree with the olive. What's we need one more in your top three on the yeah, cheese board? Yeah, last time you asked me this, I think I said um, like carrot sticks, which was and very you, controversial. I got <laughs> I got ridiculed. <laughs> I got absolutely ridiculed. So I'm I'm not going to say that. That's outrageous. Um, I want to say something interesting though. What Go. about like pickles or something? I feel like that's not commonly seen good. on a cheese board, but that's true. Love a good pickle. You know, we went out once to somewhere in West End, and it was one of those places you can order a main. And you can order two sides, and that's just standard. Mm-hmm. Kate orders her main, probably like I don't know, shout out mac and cheese. Shout out <laughs> mac and cheese or something. One of her sides, deep fried pickles. Stop it! And there were such good sides there. She got like one side of greens <laughs> and one side of deep fried pickles. It was outrageous. Oh no! Oh, well, that's okay. so I'm riding that off pickles. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, of course. So to round it out, your top three items in a cheese board without the cheese, you've got your cracker. In particular, your fig or your apricot, your fruit-flavoured cracker, olives, and... <laughs> Carrot sticks. Good cheese board, Kimbo. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm oh, joking. Okay. 
<laughs> All right. Grapes. Let, grapes. I feel like there should be grapes. You know also, what? it looks really fancy. Grapes are a pretty good shout. I do like grapes, but I'm actually, I'm new to this. Jack hasn't asked me top three cheese board before. I'm going to say for a change up and to take it up a notch. Oh, pods. Oh, the chocolate. Oh, like the, Cho- the chocolate. Pods. Yeah. Yep. Yes. It's pods. going in my top three. For, Easy. Sh- for sure. <laughs> That's all time. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get into it. So thanks, Kim. That was a fantastic top three to start off the segment. Um, let, let, yeah. Let, let's, let's get a bit more serious. Um, so once again, thanks for coming on and having a chat to us. Um, we we want to start off. We're not going to delve too deeply into how you started playing. Um, I'm sure a lot of people know already through your previous interviews but we want to talk a lot about your injury as much as you probably don't want to talk about it um you know over the last few years you've been riddled with injury what were your biggest recent injuries and and how long have you been out for um yeah so i guess that has been um a big part of my sort of storyline um especially over the last few years i have had a couple of elbow surgeries. Um, I had my first one in 2016. I was 18, 19 years old, um, which I think is quite young to, um, yeah, have to undergo Very. a surgery. Yeah, it wasn't like a, a too big of a surgery. It was kind of just like a, a sort of a straightforward one. I just had a bone spur, a couple okay. of bone spurs back of my elbow. Um, but it was sort of like a really long process. So that first one I had almost a, a year, it was like about nine months um, between matches. Um, and then I sort of um, got back into it, um, was traveling for about two years. And then I started spe- experiencing some of the same elbow pain again. Um, yeah, which wasn't a great feeling. Um, no, I bet. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it was quite, it was disappointing and I sort of tried to manage it as best as I could. Um, and then it sort of got to the point where I knew I was going to have to Just too much. have, yeah, I knew why I had had scans and whatnot and the same thing had come back again. Um, and this time I was experiencing some um, nerve pain and some sort of just, um, instead of it just being localized in my actual elbow, it was kind of like going through my whole arm, which for me was just a lot harder to manage and deal with because it was something that I just had all the time. It was like affecting my sleep and I think it affected me a lot more mentally. Um, So I sort of just pushed through as much as I could and then it got to the point where I was like, I'm done. Yeah. Um, And it was sort of a weird one because I was at a career high ranking. So it was one of those things where it was like a catch 22. Like I really wanted to keep, keep playing keep rolling but yeah because i thought i was sort of on like a high of my career um but at the same time i wasn't enjoying it and stepping out of the court like made me nervous and it i just didn't feel like myself on the court anymore so um that was when i knew that it was time so i flew home flew to melbourne um in the middle of winter which was also not a fun time (laughs) um and yeah that's when i had my second um elbow surgery and yeah, I definitely thought it was going to be a straightforward process again. Um, I sort of got told and anyone that's ha- kind of had um, a surgery will know that your surgeon kind of lays out a timeline for you and it never goes to that plan. <laughs> like, I Especially with he you. Said, 
especially with me. Um, but yeah, I, I've later now like found out that it's a pretty common thing that um, your surgeon sort of says, oh, it's going to be three months and you'll be hitting balls again. And it, it sort of like never goes to plan. Ping pong balls, um, maybe. Rehab is <laughs> such a, yeah, exactly. Not even. Um, I remember, I think I was playing like ping pong left-handed and I'm terrible right-handed. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, so, and then fast forward a year and I still hadn't hit a ball. Um, and so... Um, and then plus you yeah, add like COVID and, and everything that sort of ended up happening last year. So, um, yeah, I only just played my first tournament and it was, um, I hadn't counted the exact months, but it was almost two years since, just under two years since I'd played a professional So you pretty much match. missed two full seasons. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah. So like obviously the tennis season's super long. Um, yeah. It's hard to distinguish yeah, a year and a season. It's like a whole year. <laughs> <the> casual <laughs> Yeah. It's just, you can keep playing all year if you want. There's a tournament during Christmas. <laughs> um, so yeah, like n- not ideal, but um, yeah, I definitely have learned a lot through the whole experience and how important it is to look after your body and, um, and, and all of that. Um, it's been a huge, huge learning curve. So, um, yeah, but super excited to be back, back playing. Yeah, well... We all are. Yeah, well, we... Just as fans. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> we, we haven't been in the same... Obviously, the ha- we haven't been in the same situation ourselves in terms of, you know, going through surgery and rehab and whatnot. And you, you're away from your, your friends on tour. You're away from competition. You're going through numerous months of rehab, um, which pays a huge toll mentally, I, I'd, I'd assume. Um, how... How well did you cope through this and what, what what did you do to get through it? Yeah, it was definitely a lot of trial and error and I'm really fortunate that I have a really um, close relationship with my family and my parents and a really close-knit friend, friendship group that are not all tennis players. So yeah. they also have normal jobs and, and they're around all, all year. So yeah I'm really lucky that I went to school and so I built really strong friendships um in my life that weren't just tennis players because obviously we have pretty crazy um lifestyles a lot of travel and obviously I missed my friends a lot that were um playing but I still you know followed their results and at times it was tough because I did wish that I was away and, and traveling and um having fun with them but at the same time um yeah I still had you know my friends and family to rely on and they kept me distracted and I sort of learnt along the way that I didn't have to always be so strong and I didn't have to pretend that everything was fine all the time, which, you know, I am pretty stubborn, but yeah. at that times... <laughs> at I don't times know if that I, laugh was agreeing with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gus. It was a good time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I did learn that it was okay to have crappy days and that those days were the days that I could rely on my parents and just express how I was feeling. And if I didn't do that, then those days were just going to get longer and longer. Mm. And um, yeah, that's sort of how, how I got through it. And I think it was really tough at the beginning because I did have such a strong timeline and I did think that it was only going to be three months until I was back on tour. And then I would fly to Melbourne and I would, would have a meeting with my surgeon. He would say, you're not meeting this, this and this. So you're not going to be back on court for this many months. Oh, and tough. so that was really tough to hear each time. Yep. But I think 
once I realised that it was going to be a real long-term injury, I sort of just took all the pressure of timeline away and I just thought I want to be playing tennis for a really long time and my longevity in the sport is really important and I don't want to have to go this through this again. So I'm going to take really take my time and, and rehab and um, do everything by the book and correctly and it doesn't matter whether I'm back on court in two months or in a year. Um, so I think that really... So do you think shifting your mentality towards that direction helps you get through that period? Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's quite like a mindful approach to it. I feel like with anything you do, if you don't have a stop time or an end time or date in front of you, it just feels so much longer. So I bet it like, especially when you're just thinking like it's meant to be soon, it's meant to be soon, it's just not, it would have been really tough. Yeah, and you've kind of got people asking you, oh, when are you going to be back on court? When are you going to be back on court? Which is no one's fault. Everyone's has the best intentions. Yeah. Um, but when you're hearing that all the time, especially when my friends who I hadn't seen for months would come back and they're only home for a couple of weeks, they're, you know, asking, how's, how's rehab and this and that? And when it's not going well, it's you kind of feel like you're failing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you sort of just, just learn to... Yeah, exactly. And as again, I'm just really fortunate that I've got a really good group of people around me that helped me through it. Yeah, amazing. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, you touched on, you know, having your friends around who helped you heaps. Um, and what what I'd like to know anyway to, to your young your youngsters that are going through the same process, you know, even your senior players that are you're going through rehab, you know, endless months of rehab and you know having time off court what would some advice be that you would give you know in particular someone your age maybe a bit younger going through the same process and maybe on the cusp of of pretty much giving up because it's it's too hard what what would your advice be to them <laughs> I'm putting on the spot That's here really but <laughs> tough. <laughs> um i'm not sure about advice but something that really helped me was just having and thinking of some different things that I might enjoy outside of tennis and having some different goals. Yeah. So I, I don't know it's really strange because obviously tennis is a sport that you have to, you, to be a, prof- I think most professionals have started at a really young age. So, I mean, I started traveling and playing internationally when I was 12 years old. So tennis has been a huge, huge part of my life for a really long time. And when something that has played such a big part sort of gets taken away from you, yep. it it's so weird. You kind of feel like you've lost a part of yourself. And I'm not sure if that's the healthiest, the healthiest thing, but I think it's what makes us so good. So it's kind of just finding that, that balance of, um, yeah, just having different goals and sort of yep. knowing who you are outside of tennis. And, I think that I kept sort of saying is who am I without a scoreboard? Who am I without a tournament to work towards? Yeah. Because I'd had that my literally my entire life from back. I, just, I couldn't even remember the last time I didn't have that as a, as a goal. So I was kind of just like, I'm going to try a bunch of different things. I'm going to just start saying yes to everything basically that I get asked to do. And a lot of it was actually tennis related, like going into schools and working with some Red Bull kids. And C- coming on a, a random podcast, podcast every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> and also getting behind the microphone, um, which is sort of a bit out of my comfort zone too. And doing what you guys are doing now, which is interviewing. I went to the Aussie Open. Once I knew that I wasn't going to be playing the Aussie Open last year, 
I had to sort of decide whether I wanted to go to Melbourne or stay here. And I was, it took me a long time to, to figure it out. But I thought that if I was going to be at home anyway, I was going to be watching it and it was probably going to be really tough whether I was there or not. So I may as well be there and be amongst it and make some different yeah. connections. And I started, um, yeah, interviewing and some really cool opportunities. I interviewed not even just tennis players. I got to interview the Veronicas, which was really oh, that's cool. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like some things that I'll never Brizzy's ever forget. Favorites. Yeah, there's Heine. It was so strange. Yeah, I thought that I that's, hugged that them. Is such lo- I hugged them and that I thought I was going to break knowledge. them. <laughs> yeah. Veronica's really small. And um, yeah, even doing some commentating and that would be hard. Yeah, this every yeah it was it was so much harder than I thought. I had a whole new perspective and insight to everything that goes around. Like actual people, the players playing is such a small part of especially at Grand Slam, there's so much else that goes on um, behind the scenes. And I was doing the longest days and I was just hustling (laughs) and I was so tired. And that almost gave me way more motivation to get home and (laughs) get a racket back in my hand. I was so keen because I was like, this is really cool. And I I enjoyed this, but I didn't enjoy that. Um, But I knew, always knew that, you know, I wasn't done with tennis and... Um, it almost motivated me more. Get that tennis routine back. Yeah, amazing. And that's some really good advice too for for anyone going through that same situation through, through rehab. Um, Kim, we do have one last question for you. Um, it's For us, it's a serious one. Very. Uh-oh. For all you, time. <laughs> all time. Um, <laughs> so you're obviously during the season, you're on the road a lot, traveling many different countries, going to many different tournaments. We want to know, go, <laughs> you go. This is a big one. You go. This is no, huge I mean, for us. I feel like this you, is you a go. selfish question, Jack. Why are you asking <laughs> Gus to say? It? We want to. Well, for those that know me, know that I do love my food. So <laughs> cheese boards. Anything else? We, we want to know what tournament has the best food. I knew this question was coming, and it's really hard <laughs> to just pick one. There's Top some three. terrible. There's some ter- tournaments with terrible food. Really? Let's not. But there's also some. There's also some tournaments with amazing food. Like Italy is definitely a highlight. Um, any tournament in Italy. I've played a tournament in Napoli, and the pizza there was amazing. Oh. Also, anywhere in Japan, I think probably Japan would be my number one pick. It really. Yeah. Just. I mean, who what are they love giving Japanese you? food? It's so good and fresh. And yeah, actually, I was going to say there's a tournament in Fukuoka, which I believe, don't hold me to this, is where ramen originated. And there's ramen houses that are like 11 stories high and they're open 24 hours and there's a line out the front even at like 11 a.m. in the morning. Stop they're just it. having ramen all day, every day. For those day. listening, my jaw just dropped. <laughs> and I think that I, I had Bottom ramen every single night dinner and it was as if you wouldn't I was still not sick of it so yeah it so must you, be good then would you then say japan i think probably japan Japan. okay amazing and that's an out of the box call i wasn't i didn't see it you said italy and i was like yeah i get that but yeah. i was keen Italy's a close second close second <laughs> all <laughs> right well, <laughs> runner up we're, we're glad to get that insight <laughs> to the tournament tour um kim once again thanks for having a chat with us and giving a bit of insight to, to your last few years, in particular your injury. So thanks for joining us. Well, on a happier note, thanks for quick having chat. Me. It's been a good summer. Yeah, it's it was so summer. exciting <laughs> to be back. Yeah, it was amazing. I knew that I was playing doubles at the Aussie Open. I found that out and I was so excited, so keen. Obviously, it was amazing that the Aussie Open was even on. Yeah, for a while we weren't sure. Yeah, and then, um, well, I 
could have gone to Dubai to play qualies and then a few things happened few things happened I had pancreatitis which was like the most random thing in the world which meant that I couldn't go to Dubai and play but I was found out that I was playing doubles and then I was in Melbourne and then I found out that the Asian swap wildcard that Tennis Australia does with Asia for the Aussie Open she had COVID so she missed the plane yeah so she missed the charter flight so she missed the quarantine and missed the deadline so then they had a spare wild card and then I got to play singles which was crazy amazing yeah that's a dream and yeah, I'm I still I waiting for all my luck. I used to have all my luck in the first couple of months of the year. <laughs> it's all downhill from here, <laughs> yeah, is it? Yeah, it's only downhill. <laughs> um, we, ah, well, we, we, we don't believe onwards so. And upwards. Yeah, onwards and upwards, we believe for you, Kimbo. It's still and going locally guys. too. Yeah, so and you're currently playing some UTR events held here at Brisbane at Tennyson at QTC. How, how are they going at the moment? Yeah, really good. It's so awesome to be playing tournaments in sort of my backyard um, where I train every day. And yeah, just so amazing to be back competing. And a huge lesson I learned at AO was I thought that I was like in the best shape of my life. And I thought I was yeah. so fit and I've done all this training. I've had like a two-year training block. Uh, but after each match, I was so sore, just um, <laughs> crazy doms. Like my left glute, like left abs. I think a lot of players were experiencing it just because of the lack of matches. Yep. But um, yeah, I was definitely feeling few, it. There were a few abdominal injuries going around. Yeah, I, I heard. <laughs> no, I don't. Around think so. the chaps. <laughs> <laughs> around the chaps. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely need to get some consecutive matches in a row just to sort of get my back just uh, a different body, fitness. yeah, conditioned, reconditioned to matches. Yeah, I'm guessing. I'm guessing the UTR matches are helping with that. Yeah, and the fact that I can do it, you know, in a safe environment yeah, in my own backyard, really not lucky. have to travel, is amazing. And I'm definitely going to take advantage of those while they're on. Yeah, yeah awesome. And, and for a while. yeah, and what's What's on the horizon? So what's coming up for you this year? I know it's a tricky year with, with COVID and like no travel. Yeah, it's really hard. Hard to predict. Yeah, it's really hard. I've sort of been trying not to think about my schedule too much because it kind of stresses me out. Um, but I am having to think about it a lot more now since it's already March, which Punching is insane. the Aussie summer. And yeah, the Aussie summer is done and there's probably not going to be any chances and opportunities to earn points like utrs are amazing but you don't earn um, any points to help your ranking so there's probably not going to be any of those tournaments happening in australia until the end of the year so realistically if you want your ranking to improve you have to travel so i will be traveling at some point when is another question um yeah there's obviously a lot of things to weigh up like the safety is a huge thing for me um and I know, yeah, I think the WTA and ITF are doing an amazing job of putting tournaments on and doing the bubbles and whatnot. And I think as the year goes on, everyone's learning as they go. Um, I do have my protected ranking, so it's really good that I know that I have at least a Grand Slam locked in. So I'll probably aim to play grass season. Yep. I love grass, so really Yeah, I was going to say, that. surely it's got to be Wimby. <laughs> yeah, and they're doing really well with the vaccine over there, so yeah, I'm so thinking Wimby. They have their whole open up from lockdown plan by may and june right so yeah so we're hoping we're going to see they're, gear, a, they're specifically gearing up for yeah. windy i reckon fully yes. <laughs> they missed their strawberries and cream yeah, they didn't they get did. it last year oh, oh, that's and pims oh stop it <laughs> <laughs> all no pims for you no no definitely not for me <laughs> <laughs> don't worry mum and dad if you're listening <laughs> all right well once again thanks kim for giving us a bit of insight to your 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 calendar coming up what you've been doing um 
and and thanks for your insights to your injuries that you've had and the advice that you would give to to anyone going through the same situation so definitely once again on behalf of myself gus yeah, thanks for coming in and joining us. Thank you very thanks much. Thanks so much. It's been a privilege. And oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> that is too also, kind. Also, Jack, you owe me dinner. That was not the deal. I think I said dinner for a week, but I think that might be a uh, bit harsh. I, I, Just I, one dinner. Would I be did enough. the old. I did the old cross fingers there. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, oldest trick in the book. <laughs> oldest trick in the book. All right, and um, yeah, thanks again, Gus, for joining me. Thank um, you, Jack. Thanks again to our producer, producer Frey, for putting this together. As always. We're getting the salute from him at the moment. And we also like to thank our podcast sponsor, um, Kiala Organic Beef. They've been helping us in the last uh, couple of weeks. So a huge shout out to them. Um, and yeah, thanks again, Kim. And guys, we'll, we'll see you next week. Cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs>